Hey, and welcome to AP Bible Church. You can find us online at apbiblechurch.com, and you can come and join us. We host all of our services live streaming through a Facebook group, which you can get at our website. Thank you so much for joining us here. Pastor Brandon has been going through and teaching through the book of Matthew. These studies are hosted live with our church members being able to chime in, comment, ask questions at the end, and we're also backing them up so that way you guys can access them here as well. But as always, come and join us in the group to get these services as they're happening and be able to join in not only in fellowship, but counsel questions and so much more that we have within the church body. Thanks for joining us. We pray this can bless you. All right, do we have any more announcement things? I don't think so. No? All right, let's go ahead and open up prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again so much, Father, for this opportunity and this, this church body that you've given us. Father, just this opportunity, no matter <clears throat> where we are and no matter when it is, Father, that we still all get together and meet and glorify and learn and honor you. Father, today I just ask that you use me to speak your word to your people, Father. Please let nothing come from me, but everything be from you. Father, please just give these people of yours ears to hear, hearts to receive the message. Father, may you be glorified and honored in all. We love you in your heavenly and precious name, Jesus. Amen. This awkward time right here is silence for you new people. Is this like that time that you normally, you know, like in the church that like the piano player would be playing or like the organ player would be playing? It's like, yeah, she awkwardly walks off. This is that point. <laughs> All right, guys, we are in uh, Matthew 18 today. We're going to go over uh, verses 1 through 14. We're going to go over some very popular area of scripture here that many of us know, but I'm sure um, many of us really don't understand, I think, the depth of what Jesus is saying here and, and what this means. Um, we, we take this section of scripture here to mean um, something for children, and while there's a definitely a safe application to that, um, that isn't necessarily what Jesus is saying here in, in 18. So um, as we get into it, we'll, uh, we'll just understand the depth of what we're talking about. And if you've been with us through our Matthew studies, we have been going through the book of Matthew and, and just putting this book in the, in the context in which it was written. And it was written to... Jews, believing Jews. And that's very, very important It understanding the way that we interpret this book is we, we have to understand the audience. So that's our immediate application there is, is what Jesus' audience is, is, is who's 
you know, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the first century Jews here. But there is broader application to where he's talking to us as well. Okay, but we just have to put that in light of the fact that he was speaking to a specific audience. Okay, but we, again, this also goes for us, the church as well. It's just as we go through even this um, passage, we will we'll understand here what we're talking about. And the major theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. We all hear this, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and that, that, that theme was these, these Jews were expecting the Messiah here to bring in this kingdom that was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to be the conquering Messiah. But that, that really wasn't, he, he comes to explain them and, and, and to tell them that no, that's not necessarily the plan, that yes, that will happen, but you know, here's, here's a little bit of information that you, that you don't know. Um, I'm going to have to die and you should know this because, you know, the, the, the prophets, prophets definitely prophesied of this that, you know, we, they just didn't have the full, we didn't have the full key of interpretation. Um, but <clears throat> not we, they didn't have the full key to, to, to that interpretation, that understanding of how this was going to work, this this church being a mystery program in this. Okay, so so they didn't know how completely that that was going to work. So Jesus begins to explain to them that, hey, look, number one, you're not fit to enter the kingdom of heaven because this is the requirements to the kingdom of heaven. You just don't get entrance into the kingdom of heaven just because you're you're by blood, you know, a, a Jew. You don't you don't just automatically <clears throat> get entrance into the heaven. You know, we into this. We have requirements, and and one of those requirements is he began to show them that he was going to have to be he was going to have to die and be resurrected again, and there was going to be a period of time in between when he went up and he would return again, which is exactly what we're waiting for now. But going through that, that, that with that theme, um, in, in getting here to chapter 18, we, we have what just occurred in chapter 17, what we went over last week is very important to understanding uh, just these first few words that we read here in chapter 18. Um, we see that the disciples saw the transfiguration, right? In, 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 at the beginning of last week in chapter 17, the transfiguration was the preview of this glorious kingdom that they were waiting for. They, they were waiting for the kingdom to come. They, they, they saw the king in his full glory. They saw a glimpse of this. So automatically the apostles are super excited. This is time. This is it. We're getting ready to go, but they are still not quite grasping this whole idea of him dying and not bringing this kingdom in quite yet. They, they still were kind of a little bit confused, but they're in their heads, they were getting 
they were getting very, very excited and, and very, um, uh, I guess the word would be um, haughty <laughs> about uh, about what they had had seen and, and what they they knew, and they were assuming uh, still that it was gonna that it was gonna come a little bit quicker than they thought. So the disciples seeing this and, and having that attitude sets us up perfectly for what happens here in chapter 18. So we'll start, we're going to start right here and, and stop in verse, uh, let's see, let's stop in verse, yeah, we'll just stop in verse one. So let's just read verse one. Chapter 18, verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At what time? At that time, right? At that time. And this is the time right after they had seen the transfiguration. They had gone into the house and, and, and Jesus had told them, hey, you're, you're the sons of the kingdom idea and go get the, the coin out of the fish. So there, there was a lot going on here. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and, and, and Matthew, Matthew puts this, this section interesting here, um, because his wording is a little bit different than the other gospels, which we'll go over. But at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So let's, let's go ahead and, um, go to, I was going to, I was going to wait a little bit later for this, but let's go ahead and go to Luke chapter nine. Okay. We're going to go to both Luke chapter nine, and then we're going to go to look at Mark as well, um, to see what, what all different gospel accounts give us a full picture here of, of exactly what's going on. Um, just here in this first verse. So let's go to Luke 9 first, verses 46 through 48. Notice, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. An argument. So Matthew says at that time that Jesus just came to Jesus, say, you know, that, that he doesn't really mention anything about that. Luke mentions how uh, it was an argument rose up among them, which is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. <clears throat> if we cross reference that with um, what Mark says here, just in this verse, and Mark is in chapter nine, and I know I'm, I'm flying through this here, so I'll slow down a little bit. But if we go to Mark chapter nine, We're going to go to verses 33 through 37. Okay, so Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. It's going to be the full text of the story here. We're, we're just going over the first verse. I'm sorry I wasn't a little bit more clear on that. But right now we're just going over the, the first verse of each of those, um, those chapters of the gospels here. So 
in Mark, Mark records this in 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you were discussing on the way? So, G so you can see they came into the house and then Jesus asked them. So if we put the story together here, we could see that there was an argument amongst the disciples about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who was the greatest? Which one of them was the greatest, Luke records it as. Okay, and then Mark records it as saying, Jesus asked them, hey, what was it that you were talking about? What was it that you guys, what was it that y'all were arguing about out there? And it's interesting because Luke, going back to Luke chapter 9, in verses, in verse 47 there, the next verse, it says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, If we go to the next verse in Mark chapter 9, it's verse 34. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> so it, it, it's fascinating what's we, we take the full counsel of God's word and the gospel like that and, and how these marry together and you get the full picture of, of what happened and, and the depth of what happened here. So we could see that this was an argument about who, who was the, who was the greatest. This has already had a, a very, very prideful, uh, a tone and way to it. And Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, asking them about it, you know, showing his complete all knowing, uh, you know, another pure example of his deity knowing what they were discussing on the way, knowing exactly what it was, they came in and he's like, hey, what was it that y'all were arguing about? He's like, did I say that we were arguing about something? And I, I, had, I didn't even say that, did I? He knew that I was arguing about something. Okay, so Matthew continues on when Jesus answers this, because they said, right, they remain silent. So let's see what the, the rest of Matthew says here in verse two, going back to chapter 18, verse two, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, in verse 5. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. All right. So Jesus... Here, let, let's go ahead and, and read the rest of Luke and Mark to, to gain a little bit more insight in here into what Jesus' answer is and what exactly it is that he is saying 
by by taking a child and and what type of example is he making here? Because this is important. We you know like I said, while this is certainly a, a safe application for for a child, we do know that the Lord cares about children, and we absolutely you know if anyone should lead a children a child to stumble, yes, absolutely that is that is applicable to to this. However, that's not exactly what Jesus was saying. He was taking the child and making an example out of what the what had happened. What what were the disciples just doing, right? They were arguing who was the greatest. They had this form of pride. No humility at all in that. So they were arguing this. So let's go ahead and see what Jesus, in, in the other gospels here, what Jesus uses this, this child as an example for. This will give us a little bit more insight and then I'll expand on it. So we'll, we'll go to Luke, again, that was chapter 9, and we'll continue. Um, I will go ahead and just start over. So I will read Luke 9, 46 through 48. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, all is the one who is great. The least among you all is the one who is great. Notice how he says, though, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 33 through 37. Mark's account. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. <laughs> so, and he sat down and called the twelve. Y'all made Jesus sit down. That's pretty bad. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Okay, <laughs> we clearly are talking about humility and this, this idea of childlike faith that we have in this is not completely correct. It's more so the vulnerability of the child 
this childlike vulnerability. That's the type that we're talking about. Okay, this takes us back to Matthew chapter 5. And it actually, this goes through chapter 5 through 7. I won't read 5 through 7 today because we've already, you know, we've already gone over all the Beatitudes and all of that. And when we, we went over the Beatitudes, we learned that, you know, this application isn't to just every little thing that the, the liberal world has gone and, and tried to twist scripture and, and take scripture out of context and, and try to apply this to everything. And, you know, we, we've seen this, this stuff applied everywhere. And that's, you know, when, when we, when we don't apply that correctly, we completely take away a foundational principle of what Jesus is saying here. You understand that he's saying, he's like, he says that unless you are like this child, unless you humble yourselves and have the humility and the need of this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Think of the weight of that. Think you won't enter the kingdom of heaven without humility and without the knowing and the knowledge and the need of a savior. So this does, this takes us back to the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go back to Matthew chapter five. Okay, this is entrance requirements to the kingdom of heaven. Because yes, there is action on our parts. Is it faith by works? Absolutely not. What does James tell us? And sorry about the earthquake going on right above our uh, <laughs> our thing here. Okay, but the the a lot of a lot of teachers and a lot of people that like to say the Bible is contradictory like to point point to James and say that it, it preaches you know uh, something different, and and that's absolutely not the case at all. It's it requires action. Faith leads to action and it requires you to do something on your part. Humility is something that we have got to do. Okay? So, I mean, th th this is something that to be called a child of God, we have got to understand our need for this and have this. So going back to chapter 5, starting in verse 1, seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We went over who the poor in spirit are. These people understand their knowledge and their need for a savior. You know that you absolutely have nothing to offer. You are spiritually dead. You are poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Verse 4. For they shall be comforted. Mourning. This isn't just mourning because, you know, there's something wrong in, in my personal life or, or you know, I'll, I'll be comforted on the shallow. Absolutely not. Mourning and your yearning in that, 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 that knowledge of being a filthy, dirty, rotten, horrible sinner. Mourning. Again, acknowledging your need for your Savior. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, in verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. We have nothing to boast about. Like Paul says, <clears throat> If we boast about anything, boast about the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I think the disciples forgot verse 5 when they were arguing who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This cannot be more important right now. We do not seek our own justice. We understand that the Lord is the only one who can bring this justice, this righteousness, who hunger we thirst for it, especially now in our world. We can see that more than any time in our existence. For they shall be satisfied. We see the world largely, not largely, completely wants nothing to do with God. Nothing. It rejects it. Even here in this quote-unquote great country, God is mocked. This country loves to preach a false Christ. I do, I hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Hmm. Blessed are the merciful. We but but that's that goes completely against our worldly character. But guess what? That's an interest. We we have got to display these dreams. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, verse 8, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. We have got to come to him. And then so when they were arguing over who was the greatest, he went and grabbed a child. And in the Roman world, I mean, in the Roman world, children were completely different against the, the, the way that it is in our culture. Obviously, they were somewhat despised. Um, you know, just depending, I mean, even in, in, um, even with the Jews, um, they didn't hold, some Jews didn't, most of them didn't hold children to be, um, you know, very much people at all. So by, by taking a child there and, 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 and putting it in, in his midst and, and making an example out of this child after what had occurred on the road with the argument, what happened there? I'm sorry. Your daughters. Okay. Forgive me, everybody. Again, that was that interruption there was, was our my daughters. So forgive me. Um, continuing back, taking this child and what he says here in verse 3, going back to Matthew chapter 18. He says in verse three, and he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, don't get discouraged, right? Because you go, well, we see all these things and, you know, I don't, I don't always mourn well. I don't always, I'm not always poor in spirit. I'm not, you know, I, I don't always achieve these things. I don't always, don't worry if, if we're talking about what, what we go into in the next section here, definitely comforts. And shows us here different levels of believer. Because we know that there are, and this is where the safe application comes in, that yes, there are those that have that childlike faith, that childlike innocence, this childlike belief in this. And, and don't quite comprehend the bigger things. They understand the basic truths, but... They need to be, they need to be shepherded. They need to be, they, they need to have somebody there to continue to encourage them, continue to help them. Not, not every believer is a rock solid believer that can just, you know, excel on their own. So, so we do see the promise of that. But in the meantime, that gives us absolutely zero excuse not to understand this, 
as being completely literal and understanding that you absolutely, if you do not humble yourself and have this humility, you can never truly come to the Lord. What does James chapter four tell us? Let's, I'll read it for you. It's James chapter four, verses eight through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We can't expect to just stroll into this kingdom on our own righteousness and, and our own, you know, uh, our own desire and our own natural desires and cares for the world and, and just, we can't do that because he straight tells us if, if, we, if we do that, we don't know God. And if we don't turn and become like children and have this childlike faith, this knowledge of our lack of, of skill, our lack of tool, our lack of anything to offer the Lord, anything to give him the knowledge that I am horrible, wretched person. I, I am dead where I stand. Unless you come to that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse five, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, See, this is important there. Causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Okay, not only, remember, yes, he's talking about a child. Yes, we, we can have direct application to that as safe. However, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Okay, I, I, I hope we all can be together on that understanding that we have... In order to interpret the text, we have to interpret the text to what the story and what the author is actually saying to his audience and what he's actually saying. Now, what he's actually saying may have a dual meaning there, meaning that, yes, I can apply this to a, to a child, right? Because we know a, a ch that innocence of a child, if anybody harms and abuses that, absolutely, that's horrible. We know that the Lord, you know, the, the Psalms tell us, that, you know, that uh, Psalm 68.5, defendo, defender of widow and orphans, and, and we know little ones, yes, absolutely, have a special place. However, that's not what we're talking about here, Okay. What we're talking about here, one of these little ones. Okay, now we're talking about that you, you, we, you, you come to Christ in humility. You understand these things. You understand that you're a sinner. You understand your need for a savior, but you don't quite get how this works and you need help. 
you you understand your situation, but you just you know that you're helping. You don't get it. You need a shepherd, and you need to be guided through it. And this is the promise that you have that that is is like I said at the beginning. Not every single believer is this rock solid theologian believer. I think that every single believer should study to their own extent you know biblical doctrine and apologetics and all of these things every believer should should further their knowledge in the lord like that but not everybody is like that and that's really what what we're saying here because there's those that that understand their position and their place and that have humbled themselves before the lord but they also need that that extra support and these are the ones these are the tr these are the truly the ones that are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives in verse five, once a child of my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, how would we? How would you cause a little one to sin like that? What are we talking about? This is about leading somebody in the wrong direction this is false teachings this could be this is this is many things somebody that has this understanding and and somebody that's truly humble and these little ones they need to be protected and for those that don't or for those that lead them in a different direction in a wrong direction it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea i'm sure we have some smart people here i don't know the top millstone how much exactly a top millstone would weigh that would be the top millstone that a donkey would turn i don't know how much those those weighed, but basically would rather drown in the sea, in the depths of the sea, than to lead one of these little children, one of his little children, wrong. So we continue here. Let's continue in verse seven. We continue and move on to the set the expanding a little bit more on this idea of this childlike believer and what do we what do we say what do we gather when we say childlike believer we don't mean childlike like we just you know memorize bible verses and see sing sunday songs right and this is the only type of growth that we'll, we'll ever have no we we mean this childlike believer who is weak who is poor in spirit who has absolutely nothing to offer one that knows and that could even be you who I don't understand all this biblical doctrine. I don't understand all these big words. I feel all this burning and I'm so frustrated. That's you. Okay, so 
continuing with that idea in verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one whom the temptation comes. It's it's necessary for a temptation to come for growth, but woe to to the one by whom the temptation comes. Say, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Verse that? Verse 9. The one that I just read, right? Yeah. Yep, verse 9. So, you can see the necessity of that purification, that, that, that pureness, that innocence that you need to come to the Lord. Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes in verse 7. Then he continues in verse 8, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet than to be thrown into the eternal fire. If there is anything that in your life that keeps you from this type of humility, this type of faith, get it out. In verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, that's a huge one. If your eye causes you to sin, think about that one and let that one sink in. What you watch, what you look at, I mean, that's, your, your eye is the lamp. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. What do you think that means? Is that do you think that means just oh you know it's it's okay just a little bit or absolutely not? Tear it out and throw it away. But it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes than to be thrown into the hell of fire. These are much more serious, I think, than, than we're taught them. You know, we're, 
as I said, and I, I don't want to destroy anybody's, you know, um, thoughts or ideas about maybe what they have, they've been taught or what they remember about this chapter or these stories, um, here, because like, as I said, there's certainly very safe applications for children and, and, and the protection of children in this. But we're talking about God's children, God's people here. God was using, a, the Lord was using an extreme example to show the type of humility necessary. And this is a humility that we all get to. I mean, you, you know, once... Once you know the Lord and, and, and we all know that, you know, we, we all know that one moment that it all clicked that we said, oh, crud, I've got, uh, Lord, forgive me. We all know that one moment. And, and that's what we need. We need to never leave that moment. We need to never forget that moment. And our last section here today is one that has been terribly abused recently. Um, matter of fact, somebody um, even... Uh, friends of ours had, had incorrectly shared uh, a meme recently of the the sheep, the parable of the lost sheep. This is another one that has become real popular. Um, the uh, the gay community now has has applied that to them, and and somehow Jesus and that was that was basically the meme that came out that I guess he still loves them, that he will go out and call him a her because it's his sheep and, and he'll love them no matter what. And that's simply not true and that's simply not the context of, of what we we're talking about here. Because we're talking about the weight of the things that we, we were just discussing going over the, this kingdom. And remember, these things, the most important thing, these things were mind-blowing to the disciples because they expected that they were just going to stroll right into the kingdom and they were chest puffed out. They were, they were marching in. But he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Not only is that not going to happen yet, it's never going to happen if you don't do this first. You better know your role and slow your role here because that's not the way that this works. That's not the way that this program works at all. He puts them in place using an example to them that would have been like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, I mean, this is just, 
This they were they were consistently mind blown. Now I can't wait for the conversations to to have with the disciples one day of just explain to me what was going on in your head as Jesus was telling you this right here. Please tell me, explain to me what, what, what you were thinking because I taught this and I saw this as you just being completely like not knowing and I guarantee you, um, yeah, they were going to say that this is definitely not what I was going to hear, thought I was going to hear because we're sons of the king and we, you know, we're, we deserve to go in because we're Jews and you're the Messiah and we saw you become king, you know, we, we saw all this stuff, so man then he goes and talks about all the stuff blessed are the poor and spare you know and, and then he's if we remember the stuff back in the sermon on the mount that he told them that was the the initial start of going wait a minute you're saying that we're not just going to go into the kingdom now and now you're telling me that i've got to do oh I've got to reach my own humility and realize my own humility and realize my own spiritual emptiness and, and, and the son of man has to die and be resurrected again. And there has to be this whole program that happens first, but that's not where they were going. So how we, we understand these things in context, you, can you see how this changes everything? It, it really does. It, it changes you go, okay, well, yeah, the, the, the Sunday school pictures are nice and the things that we color are, are, are great and they're safe applications, but we need to understand what the word truly says and to, to understand the, the depth and the, the meat of this. So continuing on here with the last section we have of the parable of the last sheep. Let's go ahead, the lost sheep. Let's go ahead and read it, starting in verse 10, finishing 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's important. We'll get to that. Verse 12. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, Truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. See, we've got a very, very important job to do at discerning and understanding exactly what Jesus is saying here and not just turning this into a Facebook meme or an Instagram meme that's completely blasphemous because there's, there's, uh, there's some really, really important stuff here. Okay. In verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Who did we already establish that these little ones are? Were we talking about children? Again, while we were, while that's a safe application, that's not what we're talking about here. 
anybody that would despise or lead his children astray, any anybody, any false teacher. And remember, he, this Jesus also says that if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, well, wait a minute, it's an impossible to enter right. You have to enter on the Lord's righteousness, but how does that righteousness become applied? What does the believer have to do and have to accomplish for that to be able to be applied? Well, all it takes is humility. It takes us humbling ourselves before the, war, the Lord and recognizing that we are a sinner. But in verse 10, do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So this is where this is this complete safe application. And yes, for those of you that are asking, this is exactly where we get the idea of archangels. Okay, this is the, the only specific reference that we have of, of where this giant idea comes that we all have archangels. And yes, um, clearly we, we have angels that watch over us. We know that from the, the Old Testament. We know the earth has watcher angels. Um, so yes, absolutely. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Okay, the Lord protects his people is what the greater meaning here is. The protects those that are his. Verse 12, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 in the mountains and go search for the one who went astray. Jesus is the great shepherd. Really, most, most shepherds here wouldn't even spend a whole day looking for a sheep. He'd just count his losses and be like, well, guess we lost one. Sucks. Wolf must have got it. Not Jesus. He's faithful to go and retrieve any that would be led astray. Any of these weak believers, any of this weak in faith, any of those that are spiritually dead, that realize this need. You know, many of you are concerned. They're like, but I just don't know what truth is anymore. I don't know. I'm coming out of truth. I know that I was lied to. I, I think we have so many people like that that have come to us in this church. And I feel so blessed to be able to have this opportunity to be able to shepherd the ones that, that do. And even if you don't stay, even if you come and you decide to leave, that's great. I feel so honored to have this ability to shepherd you because I see the Lord. I see this true because I see these people that long in my personal experience in their personal ministry. I there's those of you that are just hurting and long for it. I mean, there's I, I know one specifically. I know on you know on here right now. Um, 
that just, you know, it, it's difficult because you have this burning desire in here, but you're scared. You know that you've, you've come out of this false system or these false beliefs, and, but you are the Lord's and, and, and the Lord brought you here for a reason or, or will take you to wherever you need to go. And we have this beautiful promise here that the Lord, the shepherd will go and retrieve any of them that has gone astray, right? Because we already have made this, this whole idea between these two believers here, right? Because we have the ones that are arguing over which one's the greatest. So they clearly know, they, they, these are ones that are clearly the, the strong in the doctrine, right? They have the, the, the books, they have the, the whole deal. And, and but then there's, there's these little ones here that, that don't quite have, and, and he's saying, if you don't humble yourselves and be like this, So we see the two types of, if for those ones, woe to these ones who know better and understand and arguing who are the greatest, woe to those. Because I'm going to go get these ones over here, these weaker ones, and, and, and you are going to be held accountable for what you do, for what has been said, what has been taught, where you have been led. And this is a promise straight from the Lord. He is the good shepherd. We know he is the good shepherd. We have numerous biblical references of him being the shepherd of his people. And then look at verse 13. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. More than the ones that never went astray. That's amazing. Look at the humility. Look at the, re look at the flip on that. I mean, Jesus woes them down so, I mean, he might as well have just knocked every single one of them out here. Because he just, I mean, he just woes them and completely flips this on its side. Look at that. This is why... Any sense of, I, this is why I burn with any sense of entitlement, why even, uh, you know, our, our country, uh, our president, why we, we invoke the name of, of God, why we say these things, why we do that, why we would even try to lead people in different direct, why I despise it. Because anybody that leads as an somebody astray by by this these false ideas of God that ultimately is fueled off of pride and just arrogance as we saw in the very beginning I, that's 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 why is because there is such weight I 
I mean, literal weight, a millstone around your neck that you should drown in the sea. Leading one of his sheep astray. And he's going to go retrieve them. So we have this beautiful promise in verse 14. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He knows all that are his and he will not lose one of them. I, I can't stress enough the importance of growing as a believer, as studying, as we, we hear this, make this make the Bible the number one book in your life. You're like, what does that mean? Even when I was in, in you know, I, I was in school, I was like, how could you do that? I don't understand that. It's literal. <laughs> Study it, know it, reach out. I am available for you here anytime. Anytime you want to study further, anytime that you want to be walked through scripture, I am here for you. Because we are to seek these things and to grow in these things. And there is just utmost importance of knowing these things. And while we all aren't the same, while we all have our different parts and pieces in the body, um, we all can do our part and we all can and grow and, and, and display the measure of faith that we've all been given. And to make the Bible number one is of the utmost importance in your life because how will you know? How will you know anything? How will you know what somebody tells you? How will you know what to do? How will you know what the Lord is saying? How? So, <clears throat> I, I hopefully I didn't ruin too many, um, too many idea, too many people's ideas here. Hopefully, uh, you learned a little bit more today of what the importance of humility is in coming to our Lord in humility. Amen. Let's go ahead and close in prayer and then I'll open up for questions. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for everything that you give to us in it. Father, just the lessons that you give to us in it. That you speak to us. We just thank you so much, Father. Father, I thank you so much again for this opportunity to be able to speak to your people, Lord. Father, I ask that you just bless them, strengthen them, guide them as they go about the rest of their week. And Father, most importantly, return to us soon. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Did I have, do we have any questions? Mm -hmm. I didn't really, um, 
Sure, but we know that this. What what does Paul say in Romans seven? Let's go to it. Let's read Romans seven. Okay, so if we go to Romans seven, let's go to Romans seven, verse fifteen. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Verse 21, so I find it to be law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Did you see that though in 23? Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks to God, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So while we have a new nature, while we still are in these tents, in these fleshly bodies, we still have that human desire, no matter what, which is the reason that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, that we must be changed. We must be changed because even though we are sealed with the spirit, our fleshly tents, our sinful tents need to be put off and we need to be changed. So hopefully that answers that question. We can see that, yes, um, that, that's very much well before, but this is not something that completely goes away. This is something that we constantly know. I am a wretch. I will constantly do the wrong thing. I will constantly, I know what my old problems are. I will always I will, I will end up doing something that I don't want to do. And, and then when I realize it, I'm like, why not? I've, I'm better than that. And that's where, that's where forgiveness and repentance comes in. And, and that's where a lot of different issues comes in. So yes, that is your, your old nature, which you put off and you live a new life. But that certainly doesn't do uh, anything uh, with with the tent that we're currently in, that we're growing in. Not until the rapture. When Not our until the rapture, changed. when our bodies are changed. That's why, yes, 
in theory, we approach, and Erica, if you're still on, uh, we, we, I believe it was Erica. We, we approach the throne room of grace with boldness and confidence. Amen. But not quite yet. Like if we went in there, we'd still die. <laughs> like, uh, you know, if this was the Old Testament, we went in, but yeah, we'd still die because flesh, we, we, we must be changed. So, um, that's that. Hopefully that answers that question. Okay. But that was a great, great question. Toffee asked, how do we believers, how can we better balance the necessity to stay away from the things of the world because they can cause us to sin and the commandment to go and spread the gospel? For example, when it comes to our children, the influence that some friends can have on them versus the opportunity to share the gospel with your unbelieving neighbors, etc. I struggle with this because many times I don't want to go to certain events, house parties in my neighborhood, etc. because I just don't want my kids exposed to certain things, but maybe I'm missing out on a chance to share my testimony. Okay, a few things with that, and Heidi, keep me on track, because I know there's a couple different directions yeah, that my mind's going to go here. A um, few things with that. We're going to be getting to the Great Commission and all this stuff soon, Okay. Every believer, we naturally have this idea that it's our job to spread the gospel. And it's our job to declare the gospel, amen. And every single believer should do that in their, their own way, in, in whatever opportunity. But the command is that the teachers spread, the, and we equip the church. Um, yes, it was Erica about the approaching throne of Christ. So yes, Erica, that's a that's an exact explanation of what that was. Um, anyway, we um, going back to uh, what was I just saying? Heidi, help me. About the Great Commission. Yes, Great Commission. Um, we are or definitely in charge on that, but it, it's for the teachers, and the 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 teachers are to equip. The believers in the in the church, the, sh the the shepherds, the Lord has given us as shepherds for the sheep, and to to teach you and to equip you of these things. So, understanding your place in that is the first. So, so first, instead of worrying about going and just spreading the gospel and trying to save everybody and save souls, worry about growth first and being able to to. Build a solid foundation for yourself because that's what you're called to do as a believer. You're called to build this house on Christ, on this rock. Okay, but going out and just feeling like you've got to be this do, do, do. I've got to spread the gospel because that and that's what we're consistently told to do. And that's another thing where it's true, but it's misunderstood because that's not really what he was saying. Yes, we go and declare the gospel to the nations, okay, but we don't beat them with a plow, you know, to in the head to make them accept it. And we certainly don't apply that to every single believer on the face of the planet because some people are not uncomfortable with that and that does not, that's not sinful or anything else. It's just not your personal thing where I'm going to go out and, and go to the street and be a gospel preacher. That's, that's not what we're called. And, and that's a, 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 it's a misunderstanding that we have. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because there's truth in that statement, but there's also 
That's not the job of every single individual believer to bring as many people as you can to Christ. Okay. Um, the, the growth of a believer and, and you solidifying yourself as a believer will result out in your ministry and will result in you declaring the gospel. It's, it's declaring the gospel is more about how you live your life that it is what, what comes out of your mouth and how, how well you know how to recite verses. It's important that you understand biblical doctrine and you study it. Um, but being able to spout out verses like most people just want to do, they want to be able to just spout out verses and verses and verses. Well, yeah, but you need to know the full counsel of this and understand this stuff and, and grow in yourself first. Before you're out there trying to save the world, because if not, you're just, you're being sent out to the wolves and you're going to get eaten up. And, and that's exactly what, what Jesus, you know, what, what we spoke against. So, um, you know, you are to be equipped and to grow in that. So knowing where your place is, that helps you fight those, um, those temptations that might come from the world, right? Because you're like, well, shoot, I know I need to be doing better, but why do I need to know I need to be doing better? Well, that's the thing. Go, let's open up our Bibles and let's study together and let's figure this out um, and, and make better decisions by besides, you know, going and just doing something worldly. Um, what keep me on track, Heidi, with that? Where so would you what then say that it's more important, like with choosing what to involve our families and our children in? Do we then absolutely stay away from things, or do we lean more to let's just go and do it and try to shed the gospel of Christ? I don't. Our I don't know that there's any perfect way for any one family, any one person to do it. The way that it should work, that I believe that it should, is that you do withdraw from things to grow yourselves as a family. Um, that doesn't have to be for um, a, a long period of time. You know, you don't have to give up everything, quit everything. But as a family, if you go and withdraw and, 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 and grow and learn... And then once you, you build a solid foundation, what you spread out and where you go to from there with a, with the solid foundation is, is where you should go. Um, but, you know, I think that you should probably hold back and, 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 and you know, reassess, go into hibernation for a little bit. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe cut those things out completely to, you know, we, we talk about fasting so much, right? In this, this, in our world and Christianity today, and I'm going to fast and we talk about that. Talk, well, why don't you actually live it? Why don't you actually fast from the world and fast for things for a while and actually give these things up to grow yourself in the Lord, to understand that. And then once you grow this knowledge and the Lord speaks to you and the Lord, you know, um, the, the spirit grows you and guides you. And, you know, we, you have plenty of people that are willing to help you through this, to, to help you grow um, you and your family. Yes, it, it doesn't matter if Heidi and I are busy, if there's anything that we can do to help you in this direction. That is what the Lord put us on this 
this earth for, and I don't have any other purpose other than this. I, I literally have no other talent um, <laughs> than this. I could screw a lot of things up, um, and I wouldn't even consider this a complete talent, but this is literally the only thing that I can do. So don't think that, that you're... You're, you're bothering us or anything like that, but you know, yes, fast for the world. I did it. it. It happened to me. I had to, I had to shut off things completely. I had to shut off music, movies, um, even the, the, the wanting to go and do certain things. Um, you know, I, I had to put all that off for a while to, to, to figure out, you know, to, to try to, to grow and, and to figure this out and how to, how do you walk through life it, with a biblical lens and, and how to do this and how to think about things and how to go about things, how to treat people. And it's something that we're constantly perfecting too. So, but it's something that, what does Jesus say? Did, did he say, and that, this goes back to what we were just reading. Did he say to just leave it in there? If it's okay, if you look at it only sometimes, no, rip it out, get it out, get it gone, get that, that hindrance gone and out. So that is, um, that, that's something that's very, very literal and yes, requires, um, you know, um, some diff discomfort probably on you or your family's end in some ways, but you know, it's for the Lord in the right non-legalistic way. Um, it's something that I believe that, yeah, I think that all of us should do, um, to whatever you feel convicted of. I think the Lord does, I, I can't tell you what to be convicted of. The Lord does a perfect job of that. So just play, pray for the Lord to show you whatever it is in your life that, that needs to be uncovered so that, that it can be fixed and you come to him in that humility to for you to be able to fix it and be able to grow. Todd, you said perhaps we could use Philippians 4, 8, whatever is noble, whatever is true, etc., as a way to choose what things to get involved with. Thank you. Yes. Um. And yes, Tothi, um, I saw your question and I told you, I don't know if you saw it, but I, Tothi has a question on the board that said, um, Philippians, she was reading Philippians chapter four today. And the question, should we Christians view the issue of anxiety as sin against God's commandments to fear not? Don't be anxious about anything. And she was just, you know, uh, wanting to gain a little bit more. Um, understanding on that and the, and I answered the question and the answer is to, to that question is yes and no um, is 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 it a sin and is it a commandment against God yes it can be absolutely sure it can be um, should you view it like that absolutely not um, as I said in my response Jesus was anxious he was scared he was worried he he, he suffered these emotions but how we suffer them and, and and how how they if, if they're in a, a if they're in a godly godly way here, um, that's completely different. Um, but, you know, we we have that natural human desire, but uh, ultimately we we go to God in those moments that we have that anxiety that we're feeling that that we start becoming afraid, that we start becoming anxious. That's the time we go to the Lord. That's not the time that we go, oh, I'm sinning. No, we go to the Lord. Go, Lord, help me. I'm becoming, help me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the word there should be better translated as care or concern. Don't be concerned. 
I've got this. Come to me. You know, he bring your burden to me. Um, bring, you, you know, bring all of these things. My, his yoke is light. We, you know, take them to him. So absolutely there is, um, worry and anxiety that can absolutely be a sin. And that would be worry and anxiety that you don't give to God. Um, and, and, and that wouldn't fit you know, or, or if it's a, a worldly anxiety or, or a, a worry or something like that. Um, absolutely. But we're, we're talking about, you know, I'm anxious for my family, my friends, my, you know, th these different things. I, I'm worried, truly worried for my children. Um, yes. Amen. We cast all worries at his feet. So we certainly, um, you know, we certainly can be sinful uh, in it, but I don't believe that we should we should view it like that. Yes, some anxiety is purely hormonal and physical, and some of it is is uh, guys. I I suffer from anxiety. Um, I suffer from terrible anxiety, um, depression, anxiety. I have all the things that you're not supposed to have. Right. Um, I, if you guys knew how much I doubt myself and how much this takes me to actually do, um, I think you'd be a little bit surprised because this literally, um, terrifies me on a consistent basis. Um, I, I, I literally am ripping myself down and tearing myself apart at all. So there is, you know, but at the end of the day, whenever I get to my worst and I start ripping myself down, I start tearing myself down, I, I go, you know what? It's not about me. It's not. I don't matter. He can certainly use this for something. He He's done it with a donkey. He's done all kinds of things. So he certainly can use something in here to do something. So you that, you know, you just have to give it up to him at that point. But are you letting it control you? Uh, absolutely I think that's when not. you start yeah. to get into yeah. those issues of when it becomes sinful, right? You're no longer sober-minded when you're being controlled by it. Yeah. Former pastors say it's all sin. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's it's absolutely not. And because Paul, like I said, I mean, we, we just see the biblical examples of it. Um, you know, I think all of these things are are what are we just reading James be be wretched weep and mourn and you know I, I we're called to these things in a godly way um not in a human way so I mean there there's certainly some some righteous some anger, righteous right? you know yeah some righteousness in there um that, that that's that's good about it but uh it, it's whether we stay there and, and and if it becomes a character trait of us um so, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, that, that's the way that we all should feel. I know, I know Liz, I know there's many of you, I talk to you. I know many of you are, I think I have a whole church full of depressed people here, um, because every single one of you that is, is messaged me and, and, and we've talked suffers from anxiety, depression, just horrible, horrible things. And that's what the Lord brings us all together for is, is you know, people with like minds, like understanding. And, and that's because it's in him. That's why we're all, 
brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world because we all have these things uh, in common and we all can and edify each other and build each other up in these things. And that's what for, you know, the, that puts us the teacher's job, you know, that, that, that puts us uh, it back on us that we have this responsibility not to mislead his little, his little ones, right? Because this is, you know, depression, anxiety, true sadness, all of these things are, are things that would, that, that can divide people and that can get people thinking wrong. And, and Liz, that we just read today, you said you heard a pastor say it's all sin, now it's never right to feel like that. Well, then what do we just read? What are those who leads one of these little ones wrong? What if somebody goes and does believe that, that this is a sin and this, this, this maybe causes them to you know, in the extreme case, take their life and that type of thing. You know, it's, you think of these types of things and you're like, woe to this person who would lead anybody to say something like that. Um, but it's all directed. And, um, I have a whole church of people that have, um, also, uh, are able to direct it. So praise God for that. Yeah, the way Amen. the Lord uses broken people for his glory is not I mean, it the whole story, right, is from beginning to end is just you can't fathom it. Um when we talk about, you know, like Paul says, becoming, you know, Christ giving up his glory to take on sinful. I mean, this is something that we cannot even grasp. We can't even understand. We can't even understand the fullness of God, the father. We can't understand so many things. And he uses, you know, look at what I was, I was thinking about this the other day on my walk. Look at the people that he used, the 12 men that he used to spread his good news, this message and this idea, this new understanding, this full understanding of his program to the rest of the world. I'm, I'm studying things and I'm relating here to Paul as Paul is writing 2000 years ago. And I'm going, oh my gosh, he used these men, these, these jokes of men. I mean, if, if you look all throughout scripture, I mean, they were idiots. I mean, all of them, and, and, and they were fools, but ultimately look at what these idiots and fools became. Look at what Peter became. Look at the, look at the writings that we have and we have in the letters. We have the letters of John. We have the letters of Peter. We have, you know, the, the maturity and look at what the Lord did. I mean, it's just absolutely just, I mean, it's, it's unreal. It's, it's unlike any other religion in the world in the way of, of, of the ideas around it is just completely backwards from, from everything. And that's what's the truth behind it and what's awesome about it. So. Yeah. Perfect savior came from the types of men like. Yeah. Even David. David. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can't literally can't get any more, um, any more wrong than sexual immorality and murder. <laughs> and uh, he was a, he was a star, so that's that's pretty bad. But uh, I think that was it, you guys. Thank you so much for. If you guys didn't have any other questions, thank you so much for um, your time. 
Uh, if you guys have any questions, let me know. Thank you for your input on the random lives and missing those. Uh, those those will be coming back probably then because now I know if you guys just don't mind that, hey, it might happen every once in a while. Just don't think that you have any kind of obligation yet. <laughs> don't worry about it. Awesome. Praise God. All right, guys. Well, we, I love each and every one of you. Thank you again so, so much. You all, thank you so much for your support of this church. Um, as again, just, just y'all, um, giving me the opportunity to be able to do this. I thank you so much. So, um, thank you for your, your giving and how much you take care of Heidi and I and, and Eric and, and the rest of everybody in our church family, just how we all bind together and, and we meet each other's needs. I, I truly thank the Lord and I thank all of you for that. So um, I love you guys and we will see you randomly, hopefully sometime later this week. We'll see you guys then.